Let me go ahead and open up uh, again in a word of prayer. Commit this time to the Lord and we will get started. Heavenly Father, we come again acknowledging that you are supreme. You are in charge. And if it wasn't for you, we would not even be able to come in prayer this morning. We would not be able to come before a holy God and a holy King. And we are so, so grateful for what you have done and what you are doing on our behalf. Thank you for working in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for being a God who cares. Not only a God who cares, but a God who is all-powerful. One who is able to answer and to work with people and work in our lives and is able to accomplish what you desire. And those are going to be some of the things that we're going to be looking at this morning. Thank you so much for being that kind of God. Help our, help our message to be plain and simple and right to the point and it'll be where we will be able to understand it and apply it and use it and grow from it this morning. Thank you so much for what you're going to do. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we do miss Pastor Peter this morning, but it is good to, to see you all here. And what we've been doing in our, you know, one of the hardest things for me when I'm asked to speak is what do you speak on? Well, I'm going to speak on something that is very familiar. We've been going through the book of Mark. And so we're going to, we're going to, today is going to be a, an overview of what I think is a significant teaching before Jesus sends out his disciples or his apostles. To uh, and they're going to have they're going to have some power. Jesus is going to send them out with power. So that's what that's that's going to be our next section that we're going to be moving in into Mark. But this is a significant part of Mark, and we're going to be looking primarily at four great signs or miracles that Jesus done prior to sending these men out. So as we come to the Bible this morning, what do I hope to accomplish? We'll be reviewing Mark chapter 4 and 5. And these two chapters, which we have looked at quite slowly in our Bible study, we have seen Jesus demonstrating his power, his authority, his teaching throughout these chapters. Here in these two chapters, Mark seems to change gears of rapid fire. If you, if you read the book of Mark, you'll see where he does miracle after miracle after miracle, sign after sign. And he doesn't give much detail until he comes to chapter number four and chapter number five. Mark slows way down and he gives us a lot of detail. Jesus and uh, 
forgiving uh, from one event to another without seemingly taking a breath, not giving a lot of detail to the events. His favorite words are immediately, at once, in one day. So, so it says immediately, at once. These, this is the way that, that Mark portrays Jesus' life. Um, Jesus had previously selected his 12 disciples. And that's in Mark 3, 14 through 19. He is taking them on a journey that I hope to share with you this morning. Before you think, well, we've already heard, we've already read this, I want to remind us of what Peter said. In 2 Peter 1, in verse number 12 through 14, he says, I tend always to remind you about these things. Although indeed you know them and are firm in the truth that you now hold, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir up your way of remembrance. Since I know that by laying aside this body of mine will come speedily as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So if the Apostle Peter thought it good to remind us, I think it's okay if I remind us too. So again, what do I intend to accomplish this morning? The first thing is that looking into the Word of God, He would increase our trust and our faith in Him. He proves He can be trusted in these two chapters. And you know, uh, by the way, talked about faith there, I mentioned faith. Faith is something that grows day by day. It's just not something that happens just like that. You have faith in God, but your faith in Him grows day by day as you experience this life, as you see Him working through circumstances in your life, you grow day by day in your faith. And that's what these disciples were doing. They came to him. Jesus had called. They came, and day by day, he was taking them on a different journey, different miracles that they were seeing. Their faith was increasing. But we're going to see the first two miracles we're going to look at are faithless. And, God, and yet God works. The second two miracles that we're going to mention are going to be people that have come in faith and God works. So God does not depend upon your faith. Right? We just looked at that video. God is not dependent upon anything. He works independently. So we're going to see this. Uh, so he can be trusted. The second thing that we would gain a better understanding of who this man Jesus is. Not only a man, but God in flesh. You know, I really don't know if our minds can really grasp this reality. Because at times, I question what God is doing. You know, uh, in particular, Debbie's eye. You know, why? Why would you allow one of your saints to go through 
something that, that she went through, you know. I know he is able to heal. I know he is sovereign. But when the rubber hits the road in real life, it's tough. That's where that daily walk, that daily reading of the word, increases your faith and your trust. And we're going to see that in these two chapters, where he can be trusted and that he cares. cares. As we come to the Bible this morning, this is the last of four great signs or miracles that Mark records before sending out the disciples to witness and to give them authority to perform signs and miracles. So we're in Mark, uh, and I think we're right at chap chapter 5, and we're down to the section in verse 35 on down. But before that, I'm going to give us a little, a little history to bring us up to that point. Um, Peter, I believe, was Mark's main source of information. So Mark, Mark probably seen Jesus, but he didn't walk with Jesus. He was not an apostle. So what? So what? Where did his information come from? We can look over and we can see in uh, in Peter, the book of Peter, where he, he calls Mark his son, which he wasn't his biological son, but he would have come to the faith through Peter. So and and we know that that he was at uh, at different places. This would be John Mark as well. He was at different places with Peter, and so he would follow Peter around. And as the apostle Peter would preach to all these people, Mark is relaying these stories that he heard, and and he heard these stories time and time and time and time again. So it's almost as if Mark is there. Can you, can you see that picture? So in chapter 4, we find Jesus by the Sea of Galilee teaching to the multitudes. He often would do this. You often see him beside the Sea of Galilee or on the, on the Sea of Galilee because if you can picture it, there were mountains all around. You had this, this sea that was below sea level if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like 600 feet. Don't hold me to that. Below sea level. Below sea level. Yeah. So you would have this amphitheater. So you'd have these multitudes of people sitting on the shore. And this point here, Jesus is out in a boat and he's teaching. He had this big amphitheater. So that's how he could teach without a microphone. And all these multitudes, probably thousands of people, were there so that's that's where we uh so he was teaching we find him in chapter four um so it says in four one once again jesus began teaching by the lakeshore a very large crowd soon gathered around him so he got into the boat the reason he got into that boat was because the crowd would have smothered him so he, said, so he says, let's, 
because earlier in another um, another instance in Mark, he told the disciples to have a boat ready in case in case the people enthroned too much. Have another boat ready. So that's what he does here. So he's been teaching all day. He gets in this boat. And out of the boat, he taught parables. And Mark records four parables. That uh, the, first, the first parable is the most important parable. That's what it says. If you don't understand this parable in Mark chapter number four, starting verse one, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any of it. So, so he has given them this parable. And that's the parable of the four souls. You've been here any time. Pastor Peter expounds on this all the time. The condition of the heart. You're the the souls represent the heart, and the word of God represents the seed. Um, so after talking about the man's heart and the condition, Jesus gives three more parables, talking about the kingdom of God, and that's what Jesus came preaching and teaching repentance and the kingdom of God is at hand okay so he has come and he is building that kingdom mark 1 15 it says the time promised by God has come at last he announced the kingdom of God is near repent of your sins and believe the good news so the first parable that he taught, and all of these, all of these have to do with the kingdom of God. All three of these parables. The parable of the lamp it is how a lamp is meant to light a place or a small room. Okay? This light was to a few at the beginning of his ministry. This is for the beginning of his ministry. He gives us parables. So, so that lamp or that light, and we looked at we looked at some pictures of that if you remember, was meant to light a room. And, Jesus, and, and why is Jesus telling them all this? Because their lives will be challenged. There will be difficulties. It's not going to be easy. But he's given them this little insight, something they probably didn't understand at the beginning, but toward the end of the ministry they could they could start seeing it. So, so you got this little lamp that lights this room, but toward the end of Jesus' ministry, it is re he is referred to as the light of the world. I love that contrast, that beautiful contrast with that beautiful picture. At the beginning, his ministry is to a few people. Primarily, his ministry was to these 12 apostles. These men would be carrying the gospel. They would be the foundation of that church. And he was, he was spending time with them. But toward the end of his ministry, he was the light of the world. And that an interesting contrast. The second parable is the parable of the growing seed. And Jesus uses the analogy of a farmer who broadcasts seed into a field. So get the picture, you're going through and you're scattering seed. It says, then the farmer goes about his business and the, 
And the actual text there says, night and day pass, which means the farmer just goes about his everyday business. He scattered the seed, and the seed sprouts and grows, and the farmer doesn't comprehend how it happens, which means that God is at work in the soil. The seed is what? The Word of God. So, so we're farmers. Yep, put us in that picture. We're farmers, and what do we do? All we do is spread the seed. We spread the seed. We, we, can't, we can't prepare the soil, really. God does that. God is the one that works in the soil. And so that's what, it, so the heart. The soil is like the heart. And in other words, God causes the increase or the growth, not man. Man plants the seed or the word, and God does the work. But, it's, but it, it implies here that we don't know how it happens. The farmer doesn't understand. If you remember, we watched a little clip of the growing seed, how you plant that seed, all of a sudden it starts to grow. It's the soil that's doing the work. It's not the farmer, right? You plant, you plant the seed. Then we have the last of that parable, which is the parable of the mustard seed. It illustrates how something so small as a mustard seed, which is tiny and can grow to be so big, like a small tree. Mustard seed, I mean, you, it's about the size of the head of a pin. And yet, when that thing sprouts up and grows, it, it can become a bush where birds can build nests and things in it, as the scripture puts it. It is a picture of the building of the church to come. Remember, it was real small, had these few disciples, uh, a few followers. This And Jesus is telling them this in these, these three parables, that, hey, what you see small, you're not going to understand how it's going to grow, but I'm going to cause the increase. All you have to do is be faithful. So don't lose heart. Something that would be hard to see unless you've seen. Now, see, we look back, and we can see how it's happened. We can see how the church has grown from that little, and, and you know, y'all have heard the, the phrase, um, how these men have turned the world upside down. You know, that, that phrase. And we can, we can look back, and we can see how that happened. These men were living in it. They couldn't see it. And Jesus is just encouraging them. One day they'll look back and they'll be able to see this. Something his disciples were probably having a hard time comprehending. As they saw all the ridicule Jesus, Jesus was experiencing at the hand of Satan through the religious system. If you remember, the, the religious leaders were at great opposition. Jesus has come to establish a relationship with us. I believe Jesus through these three parables to encourage his disciples because their road and ours will not be easy. 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be 
persecuted in fact not you may be persecuted but you will be persecuted one way or another may not be physical persecution and be mental persecution but you will be persecuted if you live a godly life but his kingdom will stand and it will grow regardless of the opposition every human heart can be evaluated by one of the four souls in mark 4 1 to 20. i am sure as as his disciples went out to preach they would remember this parable the people they spoke to it is hard to keep your head up when people don't respond but remember god causes the response so if you're trying to witness to somebody you know we had a we had a neighbor it's been our neighbor for probably 35 years we we pray for them our our boys when they were small they witnessed to their grandkids you know and, and they they told they told us one time they said you keep your religion we're good friends we respect you but we have two different lives you keep your religion your religion don't don't talk to them anymore you know so you, you pray for it you pray for your neighbors you know after after years of prayer i just kind of forgot about them. didn't pray for them anymore here about three years ago they came to know the lord after probably about 30 years you know god is able he is able to work so jesus has been teaching all day that evening he tells his disciples let's cross to the other side of the lake or the sea it's been a long day and jesus is tired so he goes to he goes to sleep in the boat so the four souls it's interesting it, it's interesting and i and i have brought this up in my bible study but it's interesting that we have four souls and four signs and i don't know if there's any significance there but i just think that's interesting the first two signs the storm and the thousands of demons that are cast out are to those that lack faith the other two signs the second set of signs are those that come in faith he responds to both with mercy and grace this is a series of four signs shown to his disciples to let them know what he is capable of they have already seen many miracles walking with jesus this first one which is uh the, the one where he saves them from the storm the first one seems to be the first time it really involves them they are the ones being saved not just witnessing it if something happens to you it has a greater impact on your life than to just be a witness of it happening to somebody else can you understand that these four signs or miracles show jesus has control 
over four things. First one is creation. He has control over creation. That's the calming of the storm. Nature itself. The second is the driving out of the demons. He has control over the spiritual world as well. The fourth one is the healing of the lady who had been sick for 12 years. He has power over the physical world, over your physical being. And the last one is the raising of Jairus' daughter. He has power over death. There's nothing, nothing in this world that are outside of those parameters, are nature, the physical, death, and the spiritual. He has power over all of them. And what makes it so interesting that he gives his disciples this power, all except for one. That was that was the power over nature. And we see in the Old Testament where they've done some mighty feats, but you don't see any in the New Testament where these these men were given power over nature. You see where Moses was given power to to spread the sea. But they had, but they had, they were given power even over death, where they could raise the dead. We see the apostle Paul even does that one time. So, so that, so this, so he's he's telling them about these four miracles, these four powers, before he goes out and commissions them. And he's not only telling them; he is demonstrating them to them. So, so the first one, suddenly, a fierce storm comes up. Jesus is still sleeping. Water, now see, Jesus had went, went to sleep. That's how, that shows his humanity. He had went to sleep in the boat. Mark even mentions that he's asleep on a cushion. Now, Mark wasn't in that boat. So how would he know that? By Peter. Peter was on that boat. And Peter... Peter tells it when he's preaching, hey, this is how relaxed Jesus was. This is how tired he was. This was his humanity. He was in the back of the boat asleep on a cushion. You can't get much more detail than that. <clears throat> so water starts to overtake the boat. Jesus is still sleeping. These veteran fishermen begin to realize their lives are in danger. Remember, this lake, the Sea of Galilee, was their home with their friend. This is where they made their living. These men, this storms were not unusual on this lake. This was a, this was a massive storm. These, these men were scared to death. If you read this text, you'll see that these men were scared to death. So they cry out to Jesus in 428, Teacher, don't you care 
that we're going to drown? That's how severe this storm was. Jesus wakes up, rebukes the wind, and said to the waves, be still. That was a miracle right there. The waves stopped. I don't know if you've been on lake. I'm, I'm sure all of you have been on, on water, whether it's out in the ocean or something. And if you have a storm come in, as soon as the storm leaves, I mean, the very second the storm leaves, does the waves stop? Now, it, take, it takes time. It takes time. But here, as soon as that storm was over, they stopped. All of a sudden. A miracle. It says in 439, suddenly the wind stopped. Now, we've, we've seen that, right? We've seen wind all of a sudden just die down. There was a great calm, something we've never seen, a great calm. Then Jesus asked a simple question. It is one also he asked of me from time to time. Four, four, very important question. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now get who he's talking to here. He is talking to his apostles in that boat. Men that had walked with him, right? Men that he had men that had seen Jesus heal the leper. Heal the, heal the paralytic man that they let down through the roof. And yet, Jesus confronts them about their faith. He says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? The disciples became more afraid. Not of the storm, it had already stopped. As they were talking among themselves, they were asking each other. Mark 4, 41. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey you? If you remember, we went through the Old Testament and seen where God was the only one that had power over the wind and the sea. That was, that was a sign of his authority through the Old Testament. And in our Bible study, we went through several verses talking about that. And it said they were afraid of the one in the boat. Now, instead of the storm that had been outside the boat, they were afraid of the one that was in the boat. Possibly, this is the first time that they are realizing that this just may be God. Very interesting, very interesting. So as they reached the other side, the Decapolis area, it was a Gentile region, a place these Jewish apostles would not go on their own. Because the Jews and the Gentiles, they just didn't, they just didn't mix. So they get to that Gentile region. It was near the morning. This is this is the evening. We get the picture. Jesus just got through teaching. 
these multitudes, they're in the boat. Jesus says, let's go across to the other side. Jesus was asleep. Something else I want to interject here uh, quickly is that Jesus was asleep. He, I don't believe he was aware that this storm was coming. So what does that say? The Holy Spirit was at work in these in Jesus's life. The Holy Spirit was at work in bringing this storm. The Holy Spirit was at work in bringing them to this demonic person who was controlled by thousands of demons at one time. And yet the Holy Spirit was working, causing those things, and Jesus was responding. The same thing in our lives. Jesus causes things to happen in our lives. He caused Debbie's eye infection. We and even last night we were talking about why? Why? We don't know. We don't know. We we do know that he will be glorified from it. everything that he does, he will receive glory for. We don't have to understand it, right? But here we can see that he that the Holy Spirit was working in his life. Remember the very beginning of Mark where the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan. So the Spirit is at work in his life, causing these things. So Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in unison, working together through these things. Um, so it so it was near the morning as they come across. They've been on the water at night. They come to this Gentile region. They are met by a man that is totally out of control. He comes running at their boat. They got a picture of this man. Um, Luke Luke said he was naked. He had no clothes on. He was he was living in the tombs. You need to read these stories, man. They're, they're marvelous. The details. He's living in these tombs. He's cutting himself, which which means he's trying to commit suicide. That's how much torment that this man was in. And the Spirit sends Jesus over to help this man and to show these disciples, these apostles, that he is control. He has control over the spiritual world. So, so get this picture, this man running at them. He breaks chains. No one can control him. He is so bad off that he, he, he does constant harm to himself. Mark tells us that he had legions of demons. Now, that's, that's where we, we have the idea that he had thousands. A Roman legion was comprised of 120 horsemen and 6,000 foot soldiers. Okay? So that was a lot. And so Mark compares this, this man with a legion, legion of demons, which literally thousands of demons in this man. We've done some math, but I won't do this morning. Uh, and they were tormenting him day and night. He was living in the graveyard possibly the most miserable person 
to have ever lived. This man, if he even knew of a God, had probably thought God had forsaken him. And Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit to save him. Mark points a perfect picture that Jesus was his only hope. Just like those in the boat. This boat is getting ready to drown. Jesus is their only hope. They realize it. So Jesus cast out these demons. Immediately, he is made well, physically and spiritually. And they went to the townspeople. When, they, when the townspeople comes back, well, there's a lot, lot that goes on in this story. The demons are cast into about 2,000 pigs. They run off the cliff, commit suicide. The townspeople, which are, which are at a far, see all this that is happening. They run back into town to tell the people what happens. The people come back out, and what do they see? They witness this man that was mad, cutting himself, that was unclothed. Mark said he is clothed, sitting there, and talking. That's, that's the picture that Mark paints. And at the end, this man, he desires to be with Jesus. But his request is denied. Isn't that interesting? His request is denied. Jesus says, no, no, you're not going with me. And this is 519, chapter 5, verse 19. This is why he says, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And in verse 20, and he departed and began to proclaim in the capitals all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. A missionary to the Gentiles, no prior training. We all should be like this man. What was his story? Telling what God had done in his life, how God had showed mercy. It don't have to be this long, drawn-out thing. Just tell, tell what God has done and what God is doing in your life. What He's showing you. That's, that's your testimony. They sail back. This man has denied his request. You go, you, you've been a missionary here amongst the Gentiles. So they sail back. They get near Capernaum where they left the night before. And as they get back to the shore, a large crowd is waiting on them. This is where the third miracle comes up. There is one person in that crowd that Mark gives reference to. It's Jairus, the synagogue ruler. One that was in charge of the synagogue. Now, when I first read this, I thought, well, the synagogue ruler, he was a preacher, he was a teacher, he was all this. No, the synagogue ruler was, he appointed the teachers. He was handling the scripture. Well, you know, not everybody had scripture. It was very, uh, very limited to who had it. So they would have it in the synagogue, 
So he was in charge of that. So he would get the scripture, the Old Testament. He would do the collecting for the poor. He would do the cleaning of the synagogue. He would do the basic work that was needed around the synagogue. But he was not the teacher. So knowing this, we also know who this man's friends would be, right? Who would his friends be? The Jews, the, the teachers, right? The, the people that uh, really, really criticized Jesus because of his teaching. Pharisees. Pharisees, Sadducees, all these people. They would be, that would be this friend's, this synagogue leader's friend. The religious leaders who had no respect for Jesus. Some even wanted him dead. In Mark 3, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, which was a no-no. That was considered work. Jesus confronts their religious system. In Mark 3, verse 6, it says, At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. They were willing to work with their enemies to get rid of Jesus. So the synagogue ruler, Jairus, has a 12-year-old little girl, and she is at the point of death. No hope. I mean, she was, she was not just sick. She was past that point. There was, there was no hope. Jairus knew this. But he had heard of a man and had seen a man probably because he would be in this synagogue. Jesus taught in this synagogue in Capernaum. So Jairus would have known this man. Jairus had a lot to lose here because he was, he was in good with the Pharisees, his religious leaders, and yet he's going to come. He's going to ask for Jesus' help, but not only that, he is going to bow down before him. He's, he's heard, there's no help. He has heard or seen of a man, Jesus, that can do mighty works or healings. So he seeks him out, bows before Jesus in worship, leaving his pride, his reputation behind to have his daughter killed. You know, we have, we have to do the same thing, just a side note. We have to do the same thing. If we come to God, we have to leave our pride behind us. Pride is, pride is probably one of my biggest sins. We have, to leave, we have to leave those things behind us. We can't come like we are. Okay? So we asked Jesus to come with him. Jesus agrees. Jairus is hopeful now. Jesus can heal his daughter. As everyone begins to journey toward Jairus' home, Jesus suddenly stops. And Jesus asks a funny question in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 30. Who touched my clothes? Because power had gone out from him. He was in that crowd 
Remember, they're with this, this crowd, and Jairus comes seeking him. And I'm sure in the crowd there were people that were bouncing up against Jesus, touching him and things like that. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops and he said, who touched me? Well, if you read that story, you're going to see some detail. The disciples kind of made the remark, well, you're in this big crowd. I can people not touch you? What do you mean, who touched you? Do you not know where you're at? But Jesus says power had gone out from him. This is where we meet the fourth, one of the fourth miracles. Actually, this 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 section is broken in two. It gives Jairus coming to Jesus. Then it goes to a lady that comes to Jesus, and it goes back to Jairus and his daughter. But here we have a lady that comes, and guess what she comes to do? Still a miracle. Still a miracle. Can you imagine? Isn't that interesting? She comes to steal a miracle. And why do I say that? Because this lady who has been sick for 12 years with a bleeding issue, again, on God's sovereignty, Jesus could have healed this lady 12 years before this, but he didn't. He didn't. In his sovereignty, he waited. Now she has come to the point of desperation. Just like Jairus. She's come to the point of desperation. She has no hope. If you read on into that, it says she has went to all the doctors, and I think I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, but she has come to steal a miracle. So this lady comes who has been sick for 12 years with a bleeding issue. She is unclean by ceremonial mosaic law, which tells us many things. She can't be touched. Her clothes can't be touched. She needs constant care. Can't attend the synagogue. Mark and Luke tell us that she was incurable. Spent all her money on doctors who made her worse. She was destitute and desperate. She hears of this man Jesus that can heal. But not only himself, but his clothes. There's a little superstition mixed in with her theology. I mean, she didn't have perfect theology. But she, but she comes with faith. She hears that this man can heal. If only, she says, if only I can touch his clothes. So she sneaks through the crowd, not wanting to draw attention to herself. Could you figure out why? She's unclean. She can't touch anybody. She, she would be ridiculed if that had been any other rabbi. She would have been ridiculed because she was unclean. She would have made that rabbi unclean. And, and just, uh, just a side note here, Jesus touched lepers. He touched this, this unclean lady. He was, he was in constant contact with unclean people, and yet the leadership never declared him unclean. Isn't that interesting? That's just a side note. Um, so she doesn't want to draw attention to herself, but just to touch his clothes. She has faith, faith that it will make her, her well. Notice also that she comes up behind Jesus. And how do we know that? Because when, when Jesus says, who touched my clothes, he turns around. 
The Bible said he turns around and asks, who touched my clothes? And immediately, when she touches him, she is made well. Jesus knows it because why? He can feel the power go out of himself. I believe that power was from the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit was orchestrating all the events of Jesus' life in cooperation with Jesus. In other words, they work together perfect. She knows immediately she has been healed. Jesus calls her out of the crowd, and she confesses her whole life to him. When you come to God, you've got to confess yourself to him. You've got to confess your sin before him. He will save you. In 534, and he, Jesus, said to her, daughter. Only place Jesus refers to a lady as a daughter. Very personal. Your faith has made you well go in peace. There's two healings here. There is a spiritual healing right here where it says you're made well. If you look up well in the New Testament, most of the time that is only used for people who are made right with God. He says to her, go in peace. The only way you can have true peace in this life is to know God, to have that peace with God, regardless of the circumstances. Says your faith has made you well, go in peace, and he healed her of her affliction. That's the second. So he is much, and and I believe that's why he waited 12 years. So this lady could get to this point of desperation to where she was. This was her last hope. And she comes to Jesus. It took her 12 years to get to this point. And when she does, Jesus not only heals her of her affliction, but he heals her spiritually as well. What a wonderful story. Um, two things here. Your faith has made you well and go in peace. Let's see. Now this happens in the middle of our story. We're being to Jairus. So Jairus was talking to the late. So Jesus was talking to the lady. Jairus is waiting. Bad news comes. 535. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, Son came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jesus addresses the ruler of the synagogue. He doesn't respond to these people who said, Your daughter is dead. He responds to Jairus. He says in 536, Do not be afraid, only believe. Mark simply puts it and he and he and he permitted no one to follow him. Now this is another miracle. Jesus permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Luke adds her father. Notice here Jesus' authority. Amazing how unexplainable. He stopped the crowd right there. He said, hey, you're not going with me. These, these three disciples are going with me and the Father. All y'all stay here. Only one that has authority can do that. Amazing. Amazing. 
you know, if you read through these things quick, you'll miss, you'll miss some of these things. So please go back and read these two chapters. And look at them intently. If Jesus shows this much authority, in demonstrating his power over natural events, the spiritual world, physical elements, and later we will see death, not to leave you hanging, he does raise the dog. Read that, read, if you don't read anything, read from chapter 5, verse 35, I think it's 43 at the end of the chapter, you'll see the raising of this dollar, who he allows to see. There's some that's left outside, the unbelievers. And I think this is, this is pretty apparent. I don't think I'm reading anything into it. The unbelievers are left outside. This has happened in Mark's gospel up to this point at least one other time, maybe a couple times. He separates the believers and the unbelievers. Um, he, can handle, he can handle everything in your life. He is in no way limited. We limit ourselves due to the lack of faith. I trust, trust that these four miracles are proof enough that Jesus is God and he is, he is over all. Now, something interesting. Now, my last little point here. As you read this, uh, this last one, like 35 to 43, I want you to notice something that I hadn't noticed. Y'all listen to a, another preacher. When Jairus gets back to the house where his little girl is, they are already having a funeral for her. They're in the middle of this funeral. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't hear it, if you just read through it like I read through it, you won't, you won't notice that. But they are already in this funeral for this little girl. So please, read that event. Okay? And I'm, I'm encouraging you again to come to our Bible study. Most of you do. But if you can, I understand. Dave takes them online sometimes. So you can go back and listen to them on the podcast. So well, that's all I have this morning. So I hope I hope that we get a better understanding of who this man Jesus was, that he is able to answer any problem that we have. He has control over every aspect of this world. He demonstrated that. And again, he demonstrated that to his disciples right before he commissions them and to go to go out into this hostile world that we live in now. Yeah, they were under kind of under his protection. You didn't hear a lot from them prior in Mark's gospel as where they were defending Jesus or where they were rebuking uh, the leaders there. Now was Jesus doing all this? They were following, they were in the background, they were learning. And he gives them these four signs right before he sends them out, encouraging them on the power that is them. We have power. We have power in prayer. We don't realize it. Just like John was talking about this morning, the power that we have, it's, it's unreal. We just don't utilize it. Okay? Any comments? Yeah, I just think it's, I think you said it in Bible study. It reminded me just now, I know you're still going to go over that a little bit more. Uh, 
uh, in our next Bible study, but when he just pulled those significant ones in there with him to see the raising of Jairus' daughter and let the unbelievers outside, I think that's prominent because once they, they, the people that were there already had probably were aware of the funeral as well. Mm -hmm. And so they were just, they cast her dead. She's dead. She's done. She's gone. But once she comes after she's, until it gets something, once she does that and walks outside, can you imagine the look on these people's faces? Amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then wonder, we, we won't know one day in eternity, but how many of those came to the saving faith? You know, because we see, we know he has a massive following, and, you know, it would be just, now off the books and we can get all the details if we have ways to do it. But all the people that didn't know him <clears throat> through his miracles that were in the background. A big man. Amen. I'm gonna close in prayer real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Uh, seems like again that I'm spending a lot of information out. That's two chapters, two chapters that are full your mercy and your grace and your authority and your power and and in this short time we can't do it justice we know there were many many conversations that went on we read a we read a section of this and it might take us five minutes to read through it it took hours hours to complete and we know that many things happened in between and we're just getting little snippets of it Thank you, Father, for being a God who cares, one who is loving, one who is able to work in hearts and lives, one who is not limited by anything. We recognize that sovereignty. Thank you so much for it. Pray for these people here and myself that we would have a greater understanding. Our faith would be growing more and more on a daily basis as you bring us through trials. And as you put things in our lives that, that may test our faith. Thank you so much for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.